Tactical sports take. Inbound. Who the fuck is that guy? Beat him off. Stomp on his head as he's unconscious. Five-tool commentator. <laughs> he's the Willie Mays of sports <laughs> broadcasting. DiMaggio. It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Charged. I've got some stuff done today. We're going to do this preview. You know, it's a productive Saturday. So, you know, very, very happy to be here. You know, we decided to skip the UFC fight night Smith versus Span recap because Anthony Smith is boring and I don't want to talk about him and that card kind of sucked and also Anthony Smith is boring just had to say that uh, twice just so that people um, get the idea has the most main events in the UFC over the last like three years but uh, boring as fuck and not very good so you know we're on to greener pastures here we're on to UFC 266 Arguably, you know, the biggest pay-per-view of the year. Wouldn't shock me. Wouldn't shock me if this was the biggest pay-per-view of the year. Because they have a wild card known as Nick Diaz, and he's on this card. Now, the you know, the Poirier-McGregor trilogy probably is still going to be the biggest, but wouldn't shock me if this one is, is right up there. Because there's a lot of people in America who have GEDs, and they like Nick Diaz. You know, there's a lot of dumb people out there, so, you know, the Diaz army is massive in numbers, but tiny in brain cells. But uh, we'll talk about that later. But we got a massive card here, 13 fight card. And uh, let's see, this might be the September Grand Prix. Kind of slipped away from me, but I believe it's the last fight card in September. Because, yeah, October 2nd. Yeah, so this is the Grand Prix. Don't know who's in it. I know I'm the champ, and we'll figure it out. Might be Drew, maybe not. So, you know, that's all we got for housekeeping, to be honest with you. I'm a little behind on my rankings, so they're still from the uh, Brunson versus Till fight. But again, you know, I'll uh, update those as well for last week and for this week. But without further ado, we'll get right into the prelim opener. And it's going to be in the 145-pound division between Omar Morales and Jonathan Pierce. Uh, Morales is 11 and 1. Pierce is 10 and 4. Uh, we'll take a look at the odds for this one, which I do not have pulled up. So I'll just kind of stall here while I uh, pull up the Odds Shark odds, which you know is one of my favorite websites outside of MMA Decisions. I think that's classic and Tapology. Uh, I'm not a big sure dog guy. Uh, you know, just visually sure dog's not that good. I mean, the the info there is probably solid. But, uh, you know, I'm a tabology guy, and I'm an odds shark guy. And uh, odds shark does not make it easy to uh, figure the fuck out. Okay, so they have uh, links that don't work. All right, well, you know, that's not um, boating super well for my little uh, unofficial promo here of uh, odds shark. So, okay, we finally found the, uh, the odds here in uh, a very stupid order, but the odds for this one are going to be Morales as the minus 160 favorite. Uh, don't really care about some of these early prelim fights, so we're going to skip right through a lot of them. Uh, I like the nickname for Jonathan Pierce. It is JSP. He's got a really dumb tattoo on his chest. 
they're both going to be pretty tall for the division. Uh, Morales will have a two inch reach advantage. Pierce is definitely a finisher, 80% knockout rate. Uh, really, it's it's pick your poison on this one. Morales is 35, so you know, right at the very end of uh, you know trying to do something. He is three and one in the UFC. His only loss was to Giga Chikadze back in October of 2020. So you know, we'll we'll go with the upside on the on the the old man Omar Morales. Don't have a whole lot to say about that one. Uh, moving on, we'll move to the welterweight division. We'll have a fight between Matthew Semmelsberger and Martin Sano. Semmelsberger is eight and three. Sano is four, two, and one. Semmelsberger will be the minus five fifty favorite. Pretty, pretty big favorite, and that's because Martin Sano does not belong on this card. The only reason Martin Sano was on this card is because he's buddies with Nick Diaz, and in order to get Nick Diaz to fight again. We, we, you know, we have to, to do favors for him. So one favor is bringing in Martin Sano, who has a terrible record and hasn't won a fight since 2014 uh, in Legacy FC. So we, we just bring in bums. So I'm not even that, like, high uh, in general, but I'm not even that high on uh, Matthew Semmelsberger. Uh, although he does have a really fucking awesome 16-second knockout of Jason Witt. I just think he's whatever. Maybe he'll turn into something. Maybe he won't. But this is the mailman's lock of the week, hands down. They're just pulling some bum, literally some bum off the streets, some guy who works at 7-Eleven to to fight this guy. So am I going to pick a bum from 7-Eleven, or am I going to pick a professional fighter? Well, I'll go with Semmelsberger. And probably by vicious knockout, because that's a, you know, it's kind of funny, because, like, that's a favor to Nick Diaz. Like, yo, man, this is my fucking, this is my buddy. You better put him on this fight card. Okay, that's cool. But you realize he's going to have to fight a UFC fighter. So, like, that's reckless. That's very dangerous. Like, I'm not saying he has it coming if he gets hurt very, very badly. But, like, you know, you put some untrained bum in a cage with, you know, a professional fighter. You know, if he gets hurt severely, you know, you kind of had it coming. I mean, that's reckless. You don't do stuff like that. There's a reason why we don't pull people, you know, from extreme obscurity and put them against fighters in the UFC because first of all it's not that interesting it's not that fun and we know that uh uh Samuelsberg is going to win but it's also very reckless no consideration for uh you know anybody's health so it's seven times over the mailman's lock of the week on uh Matthew Samuelsberger all righty he basically has a bye week it's a bye week in football all right, moving on uh, to the middleweight division. We'll have another one of Nick Diaz's buddies. Uh, we'll have Nick Maximov, who's 6-0, and taking on Cody Brundage, who's 6-1. and Now, the difference on this one is Nick Maximov is actually a good fighter and actually a legitimate prospect who deserves to be here, who was on the Contender Series. So this is not reckless. This is very appropriate. I thought he was going to get signed off of the Contender Series, especially because... You know, he's a 185 fighter. He was all the way up at heavyweight, taking on, you know, some fat boy. So, uh, and just, you know, wiped the floor with him. So, you know, this guy is, is very legitimate. I think that's a guy to to watch out for, the next guy from that uh, camp. You know, that, that Nick Diaz army, that, uh, you know, unemployed GED army uh, to, you know, maybe do something in the UFC. And Cody Brundage, I believe he was also on the Contender Series last year. Uh, yeah, in 2020, he got knocked out by William Knight, so it didn't go super well, but he got a rebound win 
over in uh, the LFA. So, you know, Cody Brundage is not uh, chopped liver, and, and uh, physically they're going to be very similar, although Maximov will have a four-inch reach advantage. But, you know, Maximov has that it factor. I think we really saw that in, in his fight against uh, Oscar Cota back on the Contender Series in 2020. Because, again, that was up at heavyweight, so that's just a tough fight. You know, even even though, you know, who knows if Kota's a legitimate fighter or not. But, I mean, you're two weight classes above what you're doing. You know, that's, that's you know, BMF type shit. So, you know, he's got that BMF flair. So, I really think Maximoff's probably somebody to watch for uh, in general at, at middleweight. So, you know, I think he, he gets a pretty easy win here. And, you know, I think I think he's definitely going to be one of the, the, the shining stars that we talk about, um, you know, post 266 all right we'll move on oh excuse me we will not move on because i didn't say the odds for that one and um maximov is going to be the minus 120 favorite so you know maybe some people are a little bullish on picking uh maximov but i'm not i will go with him moving on we got an interesting lightweight fight here between urosh medic and jalen turner medic is seven and oh turner is ten and five we'll take a look at the odds shark odds for this one and medic will be the minus 125 favorite uh very appropriate fight here between medic and turner i think it's a nice test for for medic and you know a win over an undefeated prospect would look pretty good for the tarantula now Jalen Turner is never going to be shorter than anybody he fights. Certainly, at 155, he's six foot three. But Medic is six one, so you know it's not like he's going up against a tiny guy here. Although he will have a a reach advantage of half a foot, so you know, 77 inches of reach is not even that big for six three. But but Medic has tiny arms, six one, but a 71 inch reach. I mean that's bantamweight, featherweight reach. Um, but you know. I like Urosh Medic, another guy coming off of the Contender Series. Uh, he's a finisher. He finished uh, Elon Cruz uh, at UFC 259, uh, you know, just a little more than half a year ago. Uh, great finishing sequence. Uh, six of his seven wins are actually all of us. He's finished every single fight, every single fight. So this guy's a finisher. He's going to come in here, try to knock out Jalen Turner, which is uh, certainly possible. He's been knocked out a handful of times in his career, three times, in fact. Last got knocked out by Vincente Luque at UFC 229, uh, headlined by Khabib and Conor McGregor. But he's had two nice performances, a win over uh, Josh Kulabau and a win over Brock Weaver. Um, Even though Medic is really new to the UFC, this kind of feels like a step up for Jalen Turner. He's, you know, if he were to beat Medic, that would by far be his best win in the UFC. You know, nobody really thinks anything about Callan Potter cool about you know whatever brock weaver's terrible so you know this would be you know loki his best win in the ufc but i'm gonna go with urosh medic i I think he's pretty legitimate uh it'll be interesting to see how he kind of tries to work around that massive reach for jalen turner because uh he is a striker he is a finisher and both of these guys do not have long uh average fight times obviously medics is kind of you know skewered a little lower because he doesn't have as many fights but you know turner six and a half minutes of octagon time uh, average octagon time in the ufc so you know this guy finishes fights as well or gets finished i guess so i don't think this one goes to a decision but you know i've been wrong before only like once or twice but i have been wrong before 
All right, moving on to uh, another fight here on the prelims. Uh, we'll have a fight between Roxanne Mataferi and Talia Santos in the women's flyweight division. Mataferi is 25 and 18. Santos is 17 and 1. Take a look at the odds here for this one. And Santos will be the minus 400 favorite. Very fitting. Uh, Santos has had a couple of really, really nice performances. Two very gaudy records. I mean, 17 and 1 is fucking huge and she does have a win a couple of wins in the ufc but I, th I think she came over at like you know 12 and or not 12 and 1 like 15 and 1 14 and 1 or something so you know she's established she's in the rankings they have her at 12 uh they have modafferi at 9 we'll take a look at what we have in the north star sports rankings and we have modafferi at 10 and santos at 12 so we're largely in agreement on that one and then modafferi Mataferi has more losses than Santos has fights. If you go about the UFCs, they they say she has 19 losses. Tapology says 18. So I don't really know what accounts for that. But either way, a lot of experience there for Roxanne Mataferi. Uh, a lot of losses, though. Not exactly a great fighter in uh, in my mind. But, you know, a savvy veteran. Kind of low-key needs a win because she's 39 years old, which is fucking ancient. I mean, that is like... That's Evander Holyfield age for a female flyweight. I mean, 39 is fucking ridiculous. And, you know, two-fight losing streak, lost three of four, lost four of six. Um, you know, it, it's kind of interesting. I, you know, I don't know what her plans are. She, I, I, she has to know she's not going to fight for a title. There's no fucking way. But, you know, I don't know. Is she just the Tom Brady of fucking female MMA? Is she just going to fight until she's like 45? I don't know. She's still going to lose a lot of fights. You know, she's not going to beat anybody good. But, you know, she'll... If you're not on your C game, you know, Mataferi will win. You know, she'll still get wins over fighters. It just, you know, depends. Is it going to be higher in the rankings or lower? Um, interesting talking point, but for this one, I'm going to go with Talia Santos. I've been pretty impressed with uh, her and the UFC. I didn't really have a whole lot of expectations for her. I liked her fight against Molly McCann debatable whether or not she lost her debut against Mara uh, Barella Romero or whatever the fuck her name is and then a really awesome win uh, last December against Jillian Robertson which really I mean you guys know I'm very high on Jillian Robertson and you know she just kind of she beat her in the striking which is not exactly surprising but beat her in the grappling which is fairly impressive because that's you know the bread and butter of uh, Jillian Robertson so you know I think she handles Mataferi pretty easily here don't know if she finishes her you know santos is not exactly a, a, a finisher at the higher levels of, of mma so far and you know modafferi doesn't exactly get finished that often pretty tough so we'll go santos by uh, unanimous decision all right moving on to a heavyweight fight between shamil abdurakimov and chris Dawkins. abdurakimov is 20 and 5 Dawkins is 11 and 3 we'll take a look at the odds here and Dawkins will be the minus 210 favorite. Uh, I think it probably should be a little bit higher, but I guess that's showing respect to Shamil Abdurakimov. Uh, hasn't fought in uh, quite some time. His last outing was in September of 2019, where he got knocked out by Curtis Blades. But before that, he was on a three-fight winning streak. He beat Marcin Tabura, who's on... That might have been Tabura's last loss. He's on quite a streak. Uh, Arlovsky, Chase Sherman, knocked him out in round one. 
Uh, they have Shamil at number seven in the heavyweight division, which is fucking insane. Fucking insane. Hasn't fought in, you know, over little over two years and lost his last fight, and he's at number seven. I don't know what the fuck he knows about anybody at the UFC, but that is insane. And they'll have Dawkins at number 10. Now we'll go to the correct rankings for North Star Sports. We have Chris Dawkins at number 8. And we have Shamil at number 14, which I still think is pretty generous. Generous, But, you know, heavyweights are not, not exactly a deep division. Really ever, honestly. If you have 10 good heavyweights in the heavyweight division, that's pretty fucking good. Um... Shamil's tough. Shamil's tough. He's very awkward. Might be the most awkward heavyweight out there. Uh, very, very similar between these two guys. They're both 6'3", 76-inch reach. Slight leg reach advantage for Chris Dawkins if he wants to start throwing some kicks and seven pounds in favor of uh, Shamil. Uh, but I, I like Chris Dawkins. Kind of came out of nowhere. I was actually more impressed with his brother, uh, Kyle Dawkins. Uh, but, you know, Chris has just continued to win and win and you know, a couple of fortuitous happenings in the heavyweight division, and, you know, he's number eight in our rankings. So, you know, he's finished all three of his fights in the UFC, been in the UFC for 13 months, and, you know, Parker Porter, you know, whatever. A very vicious knockout, but I think very, very... Words can't express how lowly I think of Parker Porter as a fighter. Um, Same with uh, Rodrigo Nascimento. I think nothing of him, but... The win over Alexi Olenek was very impressive to me. Although Olenek, he's kind of smart, right? Because a lot of the times when he gets when he gets K or you know when he gets finished, there are TKOs where he just gives up. He doesn't really take a whole lot of damage. Like he, Olenek doesn't really get KO'd that often. In fact, I can't even really think of a time he got. K- I guess Walt Harris kind of, but like he's smart. He knows when to give up in in that fight. You know, it was a standing TKO. Uh, you know, and obviously it's the, the ref's decision to call it. But you know, when you, when when you're Olenek and you you know, you, your body language says a lot, and you choose your body language. And you know, so he's a smart guy. So, you know, I'm not saying it's the greatest win in the world, but that's a nice a nice win. Uh, you know, a win over Shamil would be a little more impressive, although, you know, he hasn't exactly been the most active fighter. But you know, I, I like Dawkins. I think he gets it it done. Uh, I thought he was more of a ground fighter, but he's just been stampeding through people, uh, just knocking them out. 91% finish rate, average fight time in the UFC of, you know, a little under two and a half minutes. So, you know, Shamil's kind of, you know, like I said, he's, he's kind of awkward. He, he's, uh, you know, certainly susceptible to getting finished. You know, his last four losses have uh, been, you know, losses that have came from finishes and you know i think doc is probably steamrolls him here i'd go round one just due to the inactivity of shamil maybe round two uh luckily it isn't the main card showdown but we'll go chris Dawkins round one uh tko all right we're gonna move on here uh still on the prelims we'll have a uh fight here between dan hooker and nasrat hack parast hooker is 20 and 10 Hack Parask is 13 and 3. This taking place in the lightweight division. Dan Hooker is going to be the minus 155 favorite. Uh, we'll take a look at the rankings. Hack, Hack Parast is, is certainly not ranked, but uh, Hooker is number five. I don't know why this fight ever came together. I think it's a really fucking stupid fight. 
not saying it won't be good. I think it will be actually very, very good, but it's a stupid fucking fight to make. You know, like, Hack Prast is not ranked and Hooker's at number five. There's so many other fights. Pick any other fight. I mean, Hooker, well, probably not versus Riddell, but like Hooker versus Dober, Hooker versus fucking anybody. Islam Makachev, or, you know, I, I guess some of these people, I guess he's supposed to fight RDA, but, you know, point being, they made this fight a little a little bit ago, and I don't I don't understand why. You know, Nasrat's a good fighter. He's a promising fighter, but it's not like uh, he's some super super elite, insane prospect. It's Israel Adesanya on the on his rise up, and we're just gonna give him as tough of a test right away. I think this is way fucking way too tough of a test for Nasrat. You know, and again. He's done some nice things in the UFC, but he has two losses. You know, it's not like he's undefeated. It's not like he's the number 15 guy and we're going to give him number five. Now, I guess in fairness, the UFC has Dan Hooker at eight, which I think is dumb. I have him at five. But I don't get it, man. I think he's going to get hurt in this fight. He's been hurt in, 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 you know, in, in a couple of his last fights. Uh, and Hooker's a fucking killer. And, you know, he had a very tough trip. To, to make it to Vegas. Same with Nasrat as well. And his mom died a couple of weeks ago. So condolences to uh, Nasrat. But, um, you know, Dan Hooker's a savage. And, you know, I don't want to say his loss to Michael Chandler was a fluke. But Michael Chandler's really, really, really good. You know, like he almost finished Poirier in that fight. And, you know, it was a fight of the year. Fight of the year against Felder. I thought he lost that fight. I thought he only won that fight because it was in uh, New Zealand. But, you know, point being, I mean, every single fight with Dan Hooker's a war. Very dangerous, great elbows, great knees, super tall for the division, great reach, you know, arms and legs. And, you know, can, he can knock you out with, you know, what would be what would be a flying knee for other people, but it's just a standing knee for Dan Hooker. I mean, that's how he finished um, uh, Ross Pearson. So... I'm going to go Dan Hooker by second round knockout. I think that, uh, you know, it's going to be tough for as long as it lasts, but it's pretty hard to out-tough Dan Hooker. It's just too much too soon, and, uh, you know, he'll, he'll get his first win in his last uh, two fights, three fights, uh, after the, the cage door closes tonight. All right, we have uh, arrived at the prelim headliner. It's going to be in the bantamweight division between Marlon Marais and Marab Davalishvili. Uh, Marais is 23-8-1. and Davalishvili is 13-4. and uh, We'll take a look at the odds for this one. And uh, Marab Davalishvili, excuse me, is going to be the minus 260 favorite. Uh, I think it's fair. I think this is a very interesting matchup. It kind of came together, uh, you know, relatively quickly. But I, I love this. And uh, potential fight of the night, you know, in, in, in my mind. You know, Marlon Marais is on a, a bit of a losing streak here and, you know, not the best losing streak either. I mean, he's been finishing both of them. Highlight knockout loss to Corey Sandhagen. Pretty bad knockout uh, loss to, to Rob Font. He's been knocked out in three of his last four fights. Again, against you know the elite of the division, but that's kind of the, you know, if you want to be good, you're going to have to fight the elite of the division. So, arguably, he's taking a step down here, but really not not in my mind. You know, Marab, I think, is a, is a future champ. You know, he's, 
he, they call him the machine for for a reason. I'm I'm all in on Marab. I have been for quite some time. Just turned uh, 30 years old uh, this year, and a very very active fighter, a very fun fighter uh, to watch. He's on a four five fight winning streak. He beat Cody Stamen in his last fight. Not exactly a finisher. Two losses in the UFC. Both were bullshit. Split decision loss to Frankie Signs in his debut. Bullshit loss. Stupid bullshit uh, referee loss against Ricky Simone. You know, we all know this guy's undefeated. And, uh, you know, he's, he's probably the best Georgian fighter. I mean, Giga's doing really well. You know, you got Liliane Jojua or whatever her, uh, her name is. But for my money, Marab is the, the best chance that... Uh, Georgia has of, of getting a UFC champion and he's really the Tony Ferguson he's really the the boogeyman of the bantamweight division which is the toughest division most stacked division in the UFC so you know th- this is going to go very badly for Marlon Marais I mean you got to give him a puncher's chance because you know it's kind of easy to forget how good you know Marlon Marais is although he's definitely getting up there in uh in age, you know, he's 33 and he's been very active throughout his career. And he's massive, massive for bantamweight. Maybe he might want a fresh start at featherweight. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I think Marab works him. I think he works him. I think he, he, he's going to be so much more busier than uh, Marlon Marais. I think he's maybe a slightly better fighter or, or striker, excuse me, than, than Marlon. But I think on the ground, that's really where it's. Uh, where it's going to show and you know marlin you look at his significant strikes he lands 3.23 only gets hit with 2.6 so the defense is still good but you know i wonder if you looked at the you know the four fight sample size uh for his last four fights i wonder how that would would skew i I would imagine it would probably skew pretty poorly and you know marab even better 3.8 landed 2.6 absorbed you know just an absolute uh machine very active 7.8 7.8 7.8 takedowns per 15 minutes solid takedown defense as well so it's hard to take him down and you know 45 percent takedown accuracy so he will get marlon marais on the ground in this one uh, i'm gonna say he wins by unanimous decision because again marab you know is not exactly a finisher but uh I, i'm gonna go a solid solid win for georgia's own marab devalishvili All right, moving on to the main card. We're going to have a fight in the women's flyweight division between Jessica Andrade and Cynthia Calvillo. Andrade is 21 and 9. Calvillo is 9 and 2. We'll take a look at the odds here. And Andrade will be the minus 230 favorite. We'll take a look at the rankings uh, at North Star Sports. And Andrade will be the number one contender calvillo uh, at number five you know smart move by the ufc to to put this on uh you know a, a card that has valentina shevchenko on it i think the winner of this fight certainly could fight for the title next it's, i mean it's, if it's calvillo she's gonna fight for the title i mean that's a given um andraj eh, you know i don't know like but, it, but, but it's not crazy to think that if Andrade wins, she would get a rematch against Shevchenko. Like, because who else is going to get it? Y- you know what I mean? Like, she lost to Shevchenko in, in April. But if she wins impressively, it's not the craziest thing in the world to think she'd get a rematch. Because, you know, look at the division. You have Chukagian at number two. 
Alexander Usyk defeats Anthony Joshua. That's fucking hilarious. But, um, you know, you have Chukagian at number two. I don't... She's not getting a title shot. I think she lost her last fight. Uh, but, but even then, you know, she's... Uh, yeah, she lost to Jessica Andrade. So maybe it's a rematch with Chukagian, but Chukagian got absolutely dominated by Shevchenko. Lauren Murphy, let's assume she loses, which I think is the safest, safest assumption of all time. Jennifer Maya lost to Shevchenko. If Calvillo loses, you can't give her a title shot. I, I mean, I guess you go Calderwood, but I think she's even coming off of a loss. So it's just... Shevchenko's so fucking dominant that it really wouldn't shock me. She's cleaned up this division several times over, and she's only been the champ for, like, less than three years. So, I don't know. Maybe you have Rose come up to flyweight if she can get past Wei Li, or maybe if Wei Li wins, she comes up. Or I'd really like to see her fight Nunez because I think they're they're one apiece. I think the, the second fight was a fucking robbery, but that's probably not even going to happen. So, you know, it's just there's nobody to fight. Uh, but you know, in in this one, I like uh, I like Jessica Andrade in this fight. I'm not exactly sold on Cynthia Calvillo. She did look uh, very good in her, her flyweight debut against Jessica I, who you know was on quite a quite a losing streak at that point, and then she lost to uh, Caitlin Shukagian. I mean, pretty sloppy, boring, not not so interesting fight. But you know, she could come up and be two and one at flyweight. You know, and, and, and get a title shot here. So I, I expect the, the best version of Calavillo we're going to get. But Andrade is a good, a good wrestler and a dangerous striker. I think she's a far more dangerous striker than uh, Cynthia Calavillo. So, you know, just ask Caitlin Chukagian how, how good of a striker Andrade is. So, you know, it really wouldn't shock me either way what happens. Because uh, I, I do think that they're two of the better fighters you know, on the female side of things uh, in, in general. But I, I like Jessica Andrade. So we'll go Andrade by... Ooh, that's tough. That's tough because I really want to say decision. But Andrade is just such a finisher. Hmm. You know, I'm going to go by decision. I'm going to go by decision. Very active. She'll, she'll win a, a decision here. All right, we're going to move on to the heavyweight division where we'll have a fight between Curtis Razor Blades and Jairzinho Rosenstrike. Blades is 14 and 3, Rosenstrike is 2, or excuse me, 12 and 2. Take a look at the odds here. Curtis Blades is the very heavy minus 335 favorite. Uh, a great matchup here for Curtis Blades, but also a really shitty one at the same time, which is kind of weird, but, you know, I, f I feel like those are uh, both true at the same time. So, uh, Jairzinho's at number six, Blades is at number four. Um, this is a fight that Curtis Blades should absolutely dominate because Curtis Blades is... He can be a dangerous striker. I think he has some power. Obviously, anybody at heavyweight has power, but I think he has some power. And he's a, a you know got great cardio, great wrestling, clear wrestling advantage against Rosenstrike. I mean, he could just grapple fuck him for 25 minutes. I mean, you know he he really could. Now he's gonna have 15 minutes to do it. But you know I I think uh, you know it, it's a tailor made matchup for him. He's just gonna you know just grapple the shit out of him. Although Jairzinho does have an 80% takedown defense, but I, I still think that's irrelevant because I think Blades is is gonna grapple fuck him. The only problem I have 
is Jairzinho is literally identical to Derek Lewis, and I think he's going to have the exact game plan as Derek Lewis had because we saw the same game plan when Rosenstreich fought Cyril Gaon. Now, he lost that fight because Cyril Gaon is really good, but, you know, Derek Lewis's game plan against Curtis Blades was smart. It was, I don't give a shit if I lose every single round. The second Curtis Blades shoots for a takedown, I'm going to smash his fucking head with an uppercut. That was his entire game plan. He wasn't going to throw a single jab. He wasn't going to do anything. He wasn't going to lead the dance. He was literally only looking for the counter shot on a Blades takedown. And, you know, he lost the first round. He was losing the second round. But, but he was so patient and so smart with his game plan that the second Blades tried to take him down, he just fucking flatlined him. And I think that's going to be the same plan for Jairzinho. Do nothing, do nothing, move backwards, circle out. Do nothing, move backwards, circle out. And if Blades shoots for a takedown, which he will, even if he doesn't do it in the first round, even if he doesn't do it in the second round, that is obviously clearly 100% Curtis Blades' game plan. Hit him with a counter shot when he tries to go for a takedown and knock him out. I mean, that you know, that was, you know, because Rosenstreich's plan was to counter-strike Cyril Gaon, but Gaon is such a good striker, so defensively sound, so active, so amazing at range, that, you know, Jairzinho was just so tentative and lost every single round, you know, very, very handedly. So I think that's the same game plan. So if you're Curtis Blades, you got to be really fucking careful and set up your takedowns and, you know, do a really good job at distance management because Jairzinho is a very very powerful striker maybe not as powerful as Derek Lewis but certainly you know he has the requisite power to turn out the lights on on Curtis Blades so I don't know it's it's really tricky I, I'm still gonna go with Curtis Blades and I'm and I'm gonna go by unanimous decision especially because it's a three-round fight but you know don't be shocked if Jairzinho knocks him out with a counter strike as he's going for a takedown because I am 100% convinced that that's going to be Jairzinho's game plan. He's, he's a counter-striker, and he's got power. That's what he does. But I think Curtis Blades is really talented, and I think he'll learn from his mistakes, and I think he'll win He'll win this one. And, you know, the, the, the brilliance is Curtis Blades, you know, so Jairzinho, you know, when it comes to activity, 1 out of 10, Jairzinho is like a 1.5 out of 10. He's a very inactive fighter. So the, the good part... Uh, of that for Curtis Blades is you really only have to be a 2 out of 10 active to beat him. You don't have to jab his fucking face off if you don't want to, if it's not there. You don't, you know, you don't have to force anything. You could be, you could be a 4 out of 10 active, which is super inactive and still beat Jairzinho. So I think you can pick your shots very carefully, take your time. You know, even if you take your time and never shoot for a takedown over the course of 15 minutes, you probably could still just beat him by just, you know, jabbing him and, and doing whatever, throwing some leg kicks or whatever. So, you know, I, I think the first handful of minutes of this fight will be very important to figure out exactly how they implement their game plans, but I like the tools of Curtis Blades more, and I like his game plan better. So, Curtis Blades, unanimous decision. All right, moving on to the featured bout on the main card. It's going to be in the middleweight division between Ruthless Robbie Lawler and Nick Diaz. Lawler is 28 and 15. Diaz is 26 and 9. He also has the dumbest fans on the planet in any sport. Take a look at the odds here. And Lawler will be the minus 165 favorite. Um, 
good fight. Good fight because I have a tough time picking who's going to win this one. You know, Lawler's the more active fighter, but he's r- really not looked that good in his last handful of fights. I mean, just got outworked by uh, Neil Magny, got historically dominated by Colby Covington. You know, the weird fight against Ben Askren and then dominated by, uh, not dominated, but, you know, lost pretty convincingly to RDA. His last win came at UFC 214 in July of 2017. So somehow he's still in the rankings. Somehow he is still number 15 in the rankings, and this motherfucker hasn't won in over four years. It's been 50 months. It has been 50 months since Robbie Lawler has had a victory, and he is still ranked at welterweight. So that tells you everything you need to need to know about how fucking stupid the people who do the rankings are. Just beyond stupid. Um, and then Nick Diaz, obviously he hasn't fought in like six years. Uh, he last fought in January of 2015. Uh, so, I mean, almost seven years, six and a half years. Uh, to, and, and he lost that fight, but it was, it's a no contest on the record book. His last win in professional MMA was on October 29th, 2011 at UFC 137, where he beat BJ Penn. So this dude has not won in almost a decade. So it's very, very tough. All that said, you know, I want to go with Nick Diaz. I really do. Because, you know, if if Nick Diaz was fighting like Neil Magny or something, or Santiago Ponzinibbio, even though he had a pretty sizable layoff, but if he was just fighting anybody who's been active in the welterweight division and winning, I'd probably go with them. But, you know, Robbie's kind of washed. Like, he's he's turned into the frozen one, Tyron Woodley, where he just doesn't fire. He doesn't do anything. He just fucking sits there and just gets his, you know, his face jabbed off. So it's really tough for me to, you know, find a positive for Robbie Lawler coming into this fight because it's like, I don't know. He's like, he really has had zero moments in the last four years. I can't, I guess outside of the Ben Askren, he's had one moment in the last four years and that was 2019. So it's just like, I don't know. I think it's kind of a wash. So, you know, Nick Diaz. I don't know. I, I guess I assume he's been training well for this fight, but I don't know that for a fact. Just a tough one to pick. But, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with uh, Nick Diaz by unanimous decision. Uh, and, you know, I could talk about stats and stuff like that, but I, I really think they're largely irrelevant in this one because, you know, all of his stats are going to be from a decade ago, and, you know, Rob, Robbie's uh, no longer the Robbie that won the belt. He's no longer the Rory McDonald. Uh, Robbie Lawler, you know, the one we saw in, in the Hendricks fights, you know, he's he's kind of washed. So we'll go uh, Nick Diaz. All right, we're going to move on to the co-main event of the evening, and it's going to be in the flyweight division, the female flyweight division, between uh, Valentina Shevchenko and Lauren Murphy. Shevchenko's 21 and 3 and is the champion. Lauren Murphy is 15 and 4. And we are going to have her as the number 3 flyweight in the division. We'll take a look at the odds. And Shevchenko is going to be the minus 1400 favorite. That's um, a lot of fucking money you'd have to put to win nothing. I. I really don't know, because surely, surely there are people who put money on Valentina. I don't know why. I don't know why. If I see somebody who's a minus 300 favorite, 
I'd never put money on him. It's just not exciting. Why would you ever bet the favorite? Certainly someone who's that big of a favorite. So, I don't know what. I bet 100 bucks to win, you know, a fucking nickel. It's just not that interesting. It's just, you know, it, it's, you know... I don't know. It's it's not even gambling. It's just, you know, you could lose your money or you could keep essentially the same amount. You know, might as you might as well just throw 10 bucks on Lauren Murphy and just hope that, you know, Shevchenko kicks her right in the hoof and, you know, it's a no contest loss and then, you know, you turn you turn 10 bucks into fucking I don't know, a lot of money. I don't understand odds. I mean, I understand them, but I'm terrible at math. So, um I don't know. There's really not a whole lot to say about this one. I mean, Lauren Murphy's the, the you know, next one up. She's the next one to get slaughtered by the uh, Shevchenko train. You know, 38 years old. She's on a five-fight winning streak. I definitely think by today's standards in, in, the, in, the, in that division, in that 125 division, she's earned a, a title shot more than anybody else. You know, five-fight winning streak. Wins over Andrea Lee, Roxanne Mataferi, Joanne Calderwood. She's earned it, but she's going to get destroyed. She's going to get absolutely worked, um, you know. At least with Jennifer Maya, she had success in Invicta and, you know, kind of showed something. And obviously she's really the only fighter in the last, like, handful of years to win a round against Shevchenko. But I don't get that same vibe from Lauren Murphy. I don't really know what she's going to do that's going to have any success uh, against Valentina. I mean, Valentina's always going to be the better striker. I think she could take it down and just ground and pound Lauren Murphy. I just don't know what she does. Does Lauren Murphy have heart? Is that how she's going to win this one? I just... Outside of Shevchenko literally just slipping on a banana peel and, and, and tearing her both of her ACLs, like, I don't... I really struggle to find even a scenario where Lauren Murphy wins this fight. I mean, she gets outlanded when it comes to strikes... Shevchenko has one of the one of the better uh, you know significant strike ratios uh, in the UFC. She's a better grappler, 63% takedown de- uh, uh, takedown offense, which is fucking insane. You know Murphy's got a 70% takedown defense, which isn't shabby, but it's just every single stat is in in favor of Shevchenko. Everything with the eye test is in the favor of Shevchenko. Uh, not only does she dominate Lauren Murphy, but she's going to finish her pretty early in this fight. Maybe not round one. Maybe she takes her time. There's no reason to rush it. There's no reason to do whatever. But round two, round three, I would be fucking amazed. Absolutely amazed if Lauren Murphy made it to round four. I would just, you know, I would nosedive off my roof if Lauren Murphy made it to round four. I just don't even see how that's a, a, a remotely a possibility. So Valentina Shevchenko by... I'm going to go TKO, though. She could submit her, but she probably just pounds her out. So, round... Officially, round three. Round three TKO. All right, moving on to the main event of the evening. It's going to be in the featherweight division for the featherweight title between Alexander the Great Volkanovsky and Brian T-City Ortega. Volkanovsky comes in with a record of 22 and 1. Ortega with a record of 15 and 1. Volkanovsky is going to be the minus 200 favorite. Uh, very well. Actually, let me uh, let me get to the rankings here. I believe yeah, we have Ortega at, at, as the number two featherweight. Uh, I think it'll be a good fight. 
Uh, I gotta be honest, you know, the last season of The Ultimate Fighter, the most current season of The Ultimate Fighter, did nothing for me. In fact, it, you know, the goal of that is to hype people up in anticipation for the, the fight between Alexander and Brian. But it, it really dehyped me. It really took away some of the hype. I care less about this fight than I did before The Ultimate Fighter because The Ultimate Fighter was just so goddamn boring that I just, it made me care less. No, I still think it'll be a good fight. I think Ortega's very undeserving of, of a title shot. You know, this dude takes 17 years off and then comes back and gets one win and, and gets a title shot. You know, I think that's bullshit. Uh, but he is a good fighter, so I think it'll be a, a, a good fight. Uh, Volkanovski, interestingly enough, is, is going to be two inches shorter, but he's going to have a two-and-a-half-inch reach advantage. Uh, and, you know... I got to go with with Volkanovski. He's my boy. You know, I think he's, uh, you know, one of the most disrespected champions. He absolutely beat Max Holloway both times. No question about it. Um, you know, and, and he's going to, he's going to, you know, just out muscle, out heart, out grit Brian Ortega. He's got to be careful because Ortega is definitely the better fighter on the ground. That is definitely not a place where Volkanovski wants to go. Uh, you know, not saying he couldn't handle his own, but yeah, it's not a it's not a place where I, I would like to see him go in this one. Uh, but you know, Ortega's got a pretty low takedown percentage at twenty one percent. Volkanovski pretty solid takedown defense at uh, at seventy two percent, and he's just the much better striker. He's gonna he's gonna be more powerful. Uh, again, it surprises me that he's gonna have a reach advantage. Sixty percent significant strike takedown or significant strike defense. Fifty two percent for Ortega. But the concerning part for him is he gets hit with 6.28 significant strikes per minute, which is fucking insane. Only lands 4.2. So he gets outstriked pretty heavily every single minute of the fight. Every single minute of the fight, it's minus two for Brian Ortega. So this dude's getting outstruck like it's nobody's business. Meanwhile, Volkanovski, even with his two fights against Max Holloway, his significant strike, uh, significant strikes landed per minute is 6.02. And his defense is 3.31. So he has a massive gap. Volkanovski hits people and does not get hit, which is the name of the game in boxing, but is still mostly the name of the game in MMA. So, you know, this dude's a, a smart striker. He's gonna he's probably gonna crowd Ortega because, you know, he's not exactly a guy who fights on the on the outside. He's really somebody who has to get on the inside. But Maybe not, because he has a reach. I mean, that really surprised me. I still think he's still going to have to fight on the inside. I don't think he's going to be, you know, fighting off the fucking jab, you know, from way out, you know, three-point range against Brian Ortega. But, you know, I think if Volkanovski can avoid some of the takedowns and submissions from Brian Ortega, I don't think Ortega has a chance. You know, we saw improved striking against the Korean Zombie, but there's levels to this game, and, and Volkanovski... You know, just statistically, and again, eye test wise, you know, passes all the uh, all 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 the checks. So, you know, I'm gonna go Volkanovski. I think I would have gone by decision. I'm gonna go by by round five TKO. I think he finishes Ortega. I think it's gonna be somewhat similar to the Max Holloway fight, where I think Holloway is just gonna put a pressure on him. Volkanovski out cardioed in a way Max Holloway, so he's got great cardio. So I think just, you know, through sheer determination 
uh, cardio, just being the better striker, he's going to wear down Brian Ortega. Ortega is going to take a lot of damage. Win, lose, or draw, Brian Ortega will take a lot of damage in this fight. And I think it's going to be too much. Uh, you know, by by the time round four, round five comes around, I think Volkanovski is going to have him right where he wants to. And Volkanovski, this fight seems very personal, and he doesn't seem like a guy to sit on a lead, to coast on a lead. Now, by the same token, he doesn't seem like a guy who's going to get reckless with a, a three to one or, or you know a, a four to zero lead. I don't think he's going to be reckless, but I still think he's going to keep that consistent pressure throughout the fight. I really think if he starts you know banking rounds, you know two three rounds in the bank. I don't think he's just going to let Brian Ortega have a breather. I think he's going to be going for the finish, but he's going to be intelligent about it. And, uh, you know, if, if it's a decision win, it's a decision win. I think he'd be happy with that. But for the sake of the main card showdown and my official prediction, you know, I think he finishes Brian Ortega. I, you know, I really think he does. So with that, we're going to wrap it up here again. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarSports.media. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, throughout the fight. I really think if he starts, you know, banking rounds, you know, two, three rounds in the bank, I don't think he's just going to let Brian Ortega have a breather. I think he's going to be going for the finish, but he's going to be intelligent about it. And, uh, you know, if, if it's a decision win, it's a decision win. I think he'd be happy with that. But for the sake of the main card showdown and my official prediction, you know, I think he finishes Brian Ortega. I, you know, I really think he does. So with that, we're going to wrap it up here again. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarSports.media. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Listen, I'm going out like I came in. I'm the mailman. I always deliver, and I'm going to be delivering in the Twin Cities market for a long time, Reagan Hoover, man. You're going to get sick of me. You're going to take me for granted. You're going to love me, but more importantly, you're going to hate me, but I'll always be around. I'll always be around. I'll never stop delivering. Never stop delivering.